This is a podcast from Nordic Center in Shanghai. Located at Fudan University, Nordic Center is a platform for education and research collaboration between the five Nordic countries and China. And in this podcast, we showcase some of our activities in various academic fields. Today's episode is one of the opening lectures of our annual summer course, Doing Business in China, open to students at all of our member universities by Professor Kan Seng Ui from Copenhagen Business School. The topic is the relationship between culture and business, and whether cultural understanding and adaptation really matters to success in the Chinese business world. Is a European or American business mindset sufficient in China, or should one, so to speak, do as the Romans do when in Rome? Here's Kan Seng speaking in July of 2017. When we talk about the ownership-specific advantages, it is not just about the strengths of the company. The strengths of the company must be understood in relation to the local competition. You must be able to set up entry barriers to sustain your competitiveness. That is your ownership-specific advantages. You use the VRIO model to evaluate the. Ownership-specific advantages. Why are firms coming to China? It depends. You can use the past analysis to evaluate the location-specific advantages, but make sure that when you do your past analysis, it is a sophisticated past, not a general one. A general past analysis is not very good for anything. Is absolutely useless to a certain extent. In fact, it is absolutely useless. Why? Because you don't do business generally. You do business, and you are embedded with circumstances and context.、Right. So you must make sure why.、Uh, what are the environmental factors or the business environmental factors that are important for you? And when you do, and then you evaluate and ask yourself, what are the companies doing here in China? What are they internalizing, and what are they externalizing? They internalize when the coordination cost within the firm is lower than the transaction cost in the market. That means they are more efficient. They internalize when they want to keep their ownership-specific advantages. They internalize because. Or they have to externalize because of regulations.、Right. So that is basically the eclectic paradigm. If you want to get to win your beer, you want to ask smart questions. Try to use this framework when you we go for company visits.、Right. Ask them why are they in China? How can they compete with the locals?、Right. And also, what what are they doing here? So there are many things that, as a foreign firm, you have ownership-specific disadvantages. As a foreigner, you do not have relationships. What do you do? Yeah, you try to develop them. You try to develop them, right? You try to sleep with the mayor's wife, right? Okay. Besides that,、uh, that is a bit complicated, right? Why would the mayor's wife don't like you? You find a、um, company and you move past the older relationship. You find a company that、uh, not company、um, a consultant. A consultant. Yes, who have relationships, right? So there are 
a lot of consultants, a lot of agents that can actually help you to get licenses, to get a lot of things, right? So, uh, Simon, you're working on CSR, alright? How many of you are working on corporate social responsibility? Alright, Jens and Pierre, very good. Alright, Jens, we heard that in many countries, the country is not very... Well, you have to sometimes get involved in some informal market activities, basically corruption, to get things done. You're not supposed to do that. What do you do? Well, I guess it depends on the company's code of conduct. Depends on the company's code of conduct. You're not supposed... The company's code of conduct is you don't do it. Right. I mean, tell me which company that says it is okay to be corrupt. Right. So what are you going to do? All right. I see that Steph is putting up her hands. She has an answer for you, Steph. Alright, what Steph is saying, you outsource it. Alright, that's a that is a reality. Alright, but what I'm saying is don't ever be involved in corrupt practices. It is not acceptable. Corruption is a subscription. Once you get involved in it, you can never get out of it. Because words gets around, you will be blackmailed, you will be extorted. Right, so don't get involved in it. Right, but there are a lot of agents and consultants like Yako who may be able to help you. Right. Welcome to the real world of international business. Alright, any questions? But I repeat, don't be corrupt, don't do it. Alright. So this is the eclectic paradigm. Now, there are some very basic internationalization strategies. Right, they are listed on the board. Export, licensing, franchising, mergers and acquisition, joint ventures and wholly owned subsidiaries. Right, so basically these are the internationalization strategies. When you go back, as you go through the slides, evaluate all right, which strategy is a firm using when they internationalize. Exporting is when you just sell things overseas. What are the implications on the OLI? One, you are market seeking. That means you are going there to expand your market. You give your ownership specific advantages at home, you just sell them the products. You basically internalize everything except the distribution of your product. That is basically the most straightforward internationalization strategy. How about licensing? Can you think of licenses? Yes, Coca-Cola. Right, they provide you a license to produce a dark, busy drink. Right, how should you actually see your OLI right, from the lenses of OLI? Right, you have to find out what is the ownership specific advantages. We already discussed it's about the marketing. Basically, you give people the license to produce it, but you maintain your own 
right, by saying that you maintain the marketing, right? What in, why are you going to China or anywhere else in the world? Actually, they want to go to the whole world. It is market seeking. What are they internalizing and externalizing? They externalize everything. They internalize marketing. Basically, they are keeping their own. Like your, the software you are using, like Windows and so on, you have licenses to use it. You have, cannot make any changes. Right, they make sure that they, uh, you can't change them. Right. Franchising. Examples? McDonald's. McDonald's right? You give them a business model where people can use. That means what is your O? Uh, the motor company um, decides what products that the franchises sell. Yes, all right. Basically, it's your brand and your business model that you're offering to them. right? But what is important is that you have to keep that or maintain that and monitor it because you can have franchises uh, in, in other parts of the world that you, you can actually lose control. For example, in McDonald's, they have to make sure that their franchises do not sell other products than theirs and they maintain the same standard. Right? So you have, when you get other people to do it for you, you may actually lose your ownership specific advantages. They may dilute uh, your brand. So. KFC got into trouble. You know KFC uh, because in China, what happened two years ago? Bird flu. Or oh, that was more than ten years ago. Now, but the KFC is connected. Are they talking about KFC? Yeah, we're talking about KFC. All right. They were using old expired meat. All right, and they were caught on camera, and then as a result, all right, their brand was affected. Uh, so that's the type of danger, uh, you may lose your O. Again, it was market seeking, uh, and then uh, they basically externalized everything except maintaining the, the concept. Right. Mergers and acquisitions, right? Gilly buying over Volvo. What on earth is that about? What is the O, the L, and the I? Yes, it is to they what they are strategic asset seeking, right? And Sweden, in this case, Volvo has that, and Volvo is in deep trouble, so they just basically uh, uh, bought up uh, uh, the car company to get the technology. It wasn't for the market; it was for the technology, right? So, uh, 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 of course, for Sweden, they are very very worried about that. So they are actually internalizing the technology in, in terms of the eye. Okay? And joint ventures. Can you think about joint ventures? Service providers such as IBM expanding the Chinese mar market. Alright. Why are they doing that? To get to the Chinese market, they need a, need a joint partner for their venture. Okay, is it regulatory? Yes. Alright, so it is due to regulations, right? But you can also set up a joint venture because you have complementary needs. The locals have local knowledge which you do not have. What is the danger to your host? Your partners may actually take it away from you and steal it from you. Alright? Right. 
and or your partners maybe produce things that are a lot cheaper, alright, so it can be efficiency seeking. Right? And then wholly owned subsidiaries, alright, there are many companies that are wholly owned subsidiaries here now. Alright, they produce everything and sell everything here. Right? Why do they do that? They can be market seeking, natural resource seeking, for many different reasons. Alright. So you when you do your assignment, alright, look at which strategy they are using and use the OLI to map onto it. In the next ten days, alright, alright, you will be eating, sleeping, playing with this framework. Isn't it a nice framework? That is when you say yes. Thank you. <laughs> Now, we are going to... Uh, any questions before I move on to culture? Right. Culture is one of the most important concepts in international business. Does it matter? Yes, it does, and to a certain extent, it does not. So at the end, by 3.30 today, I hope that you will get a more nuanced and layered understanding of culture. So... Uh, we are going to look at a few concepts today. Two years ago, the Queen of Denmark, do you know her? The Queen of Denmark visited China, and this picture was taken when she came down to visit, uh, to visit, to visit Beijing. Can you tell me something about this picture? Jovan. I can try it. I mean, what I see is uh, the uniformity of, of the soldiers. Uh, they are the same height, the hands are in the same. All right. is they are very, very uniformed. All right. Okay. Lines. Okay. Besides that, anything else? Yes. Um, well, the China does not have a monarchy currently. Uh, this is picture shows the honor guard, the uh, honor uh, of the monarchy. monarchy. Okay, so they do not have a monarchy, but they are actually honoring a queen. All right. Okay. Steph. They look really tall, right? I mean, the Queen of Denmark, I mean, she is a very, very tall woman, isn't she? And she's also the only woman? She's the only woman. She's a queen, what do you expect? Alright? Okay, yes, alright, thank you. Okay, it is true, they are very, uh, you, you got all the points almost correct, right? Alright, because all these soldiers are very specially selected, right? If you want to join the Navy, all right, when I first time I came to uh, uh, Shanghai, uh, I saw those advertisements that tells you that join the Navy if you are tall, polite, and good looking. Why is it important to be tall, polite, and good looking? Yes, sir. I mean, the Navy Alright, because the sailors sail around the world, they are ambassadors to the country, 
Right, they want to provide a good image. It's all about the soft power, a charm offensive for the country. The world seems to have certain images of China. Isn't that correct? They are short, they are rude or whatever. Right? We all know that now that in Shanghai that is not true. Right? But we have that. And there was a, a huge effort to make sure that the world get the right picture of China. So we have the Beijing Olympics, and we also have the Expo in China, uh, in Shanghai. So do you remember during the Olympics, the opening ceremony, the Chinese told us that they gave us four gifts. Do you remember the four gifts? If, we, if they did not invent those things, we wouldn't be here today. No? They invented paper. Alright? Paper, they invented the compass. While the Vikings were sailing in the dark, in the wall, hugging the land to get to America, the Chinese were just looking at the compass to get around the world. They also invented printing. The Germans invented the printing machines, but the Chinese invented printing. And they invented gunpowder. Okay. All these are very important things right, that shape the world. Right? So the Chinese are not just copycats, no. Right? They transform the world. Right? So these sort of images are not really communicated properly, and they want the world to know about it, right? because the image matters. Right? In fact, culture matters in business. Right? Cultures matters in business at different levels. It matters when it comes to branding and marketing and consumption. We are going to discuss that in the next 10 days. Right? What do the Chinese consumer like? But again, the Chinese consumer is very, very diverse. It affects foreign direct investment on human resource management, on network practices, business practices, negotiation, and industrial relations, ethics, and human rights. So there are all these issues that matter. So imagine that you are in Finland. Does a Finnish have a navy? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Two boats, is that right? <laughs> Okay, and you say that, well, what's your name, sir? What? What's your name? Ronnie. Ronnie, yeah. alright? Alright, Ronnie wants to join the Navy. Uh, no, Ronnie does not want to join the Navy, but the Navy come knocking on his door and they say, Ronnie, you have to join the Navy because you are tall, polite, and good-looking. Is that acceptable in Finland? So Everyone has to join the army. Whether you are short, rude, rude and bad looking, you have to join the army too. Right? Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but the Air Force and the Navy, oh. they just choose the best looking, looking guys. Okay. And then all us... Not, the, not the Navy. Okay, well not, not the Navy, <laughs> the, the Air Force. Everybody can get to the Navy if they want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Finland is an interesting country, isn't it? Alright, but... <laughs> I can't believe that we are discussing this, but having a how you look and 
will be selected into the military based on how you look. Is that acceptable? All right. In most other countries, it is not. All right, but it seems to be accepted here. All right. But I'm sure Ronnie would like to be in the navy, in the Chinese navy, where you are stuck in a ship with only good-looking boys. <laughs> right? Isn't that wonderful? That's right? real. Right. Yes, you, know, you, you could actually say that it's, it's good to have uh, strong soldiers that are portrayed on TV because then the other countries will look at them and say, oh, actually, they seem very, very strong. Yeah. And as you, we know from uh, Sun Tzu, is that the aim is not to, to wage war, it's to prevent it. Yeah, okay, so, so you're talking about the Sun Tzu art of war to give the impression, to make them frightened before. It sounds a bit like Donald Trump's uh, um, approach, isn't it? The way he has threatened North Korea. Yeah. All right, and uh, see what happened, right? Okay, all right, but nonetheless, there are different practices, uh, what is acceptable and uh, not acceptable. So what I'm going to do next is how are you going to understand culture in a more layered, more nuanced manner? Well, basically there are three perspectives. There's the essentialist culture, functionalist or functional culture, and negotiated culture. It is in your reading list, that article. The first one is Hofstadter's cultural dimensions. Who have not heard of Hofstadter's cultural dimension? It is okay, one, two, three, four. Okay, alright. I do not want to go too deeply into it because most of you have heard it, but I want you all to help those who have not heard of the five or the six dimensions to explain this dimension to them. Alright, so talk among your friends. To remember what are these cultural dimensions. Julius, you have not heard of Hofstadter before. Is it any clearer to you now? Okay, so all right, I'll just put a bit of context. Hofstadter did his survey in the late 1960s in a company called IBM. Uh, he, there are hundreds, uh, uh, more than 100 subsidiaries, and then so he actually then did that survey to find out the national differences between uh, uh, people in IBM. He did factor analysis, a sample of more than 120,000 people. Fantastic, right? And what happened was that he discovered four dimensions that differentiate between cultures. The first one is collectivism and individualism. What does that mean? Matt? Collective is that uh, we are working together for a bigger goal mm -hmm. together as mm -hmm. a uh, so football team. And uh, individualism is uh, the opposite, it's only for yourself. You are being self centered. All right, collectivism is in that culture, people tend to work together, and in individualistic cultures, people tend to work only for themselves, right? So, uh, examples would be China will be very collectivistic and Scandinavian countries will be very individualistic, right? That's what he found out. Uh, so there's also power distance. Julia, can you explain power distance to us? Beyond the fact what collectivism is, 
Okay. Yes, sir. I mean, the word sense already is like how how it's perceived or practiced in the country. For example, in Denmark, everybody should be on equal terms, even your professor. So, like, we call you Kansen. For example, in Germany, where I'm from, where you have bigger power distance, you would say professor and so on, professor, doctor, and you would say all the titles. Okay. So, yeah, the people, they also want to be addressed like this because it's about the rank and the authority. Okay. So, it seems that. In many Scandinavian countries, it's a very flat country. There's, there's very little power distance. In China, it is very, very wide. All right. So how about masculine and feminine society? Masculine is more like when a society is based more on like achievements and material rewards, right? And femininity is more like when uh, it's more about helping the weak all right, so there are, thank you, all right? Yes, all right? So feminine society seems to have certain type of values to care about society, about welfare, things that we associate with being feminine, right? This is a very, very sexy type of, of dimension, right? And then the masculine, they are aggressive and they are competitive. So Jap Japan is very masculine right. and how about Scandinavian countries they are very very feminine okay uh, so that's why I found out and then there's uncertainty avoidance that is are there certain countries that is more risk adverse they are not willing to take risks right Camilla okay well, we will talk about that later, all right? About China, are they masculine or are they feminine? In fact, when Hofstadter did his survey, China was not part of it because China was not part of... IBM was not in China, all right? So uh, uh, he used proxies of Hong Kong and, and Taiwan and so on, all right? We'll discuss that, yeah. Jovan? Uh, I was just wondering, in relation to the uncertainty of it's also, as I have understood, it's also regarding uh, like keeping harmony. Uh, that if, if a situation arises, uh, in some cultures uh, it would be perfect to to have a, a discussion and, and fight about it. Yes. Unless you will uh, neglect the problems because it, it creates a, a negative situation. And yes. You avoid the. You avoid conflicts. Yes. Right. So in some countries, you avoid conflicts. And other countries, is they're actually quite confrontational, right? So, for example, you're going to hear people uh, saying that in, in China, people don't say no. Okay, so uh, we will have to figure out whether that's true or not later. Okay, so what's interesting is that after he came up with these four dimensions, two other dimensions came up because if you look at his first book, his study, he said that Confucianism is really, really terrible for capitalism. But that, when he published his book in the late 70s, and in the 80s, what happened? Japan took off. And Japan is seen as a Confucianist society. And how do you explain that? Uh, Japan is to give us a Walkman. They give us affordable cars. Right? They, it became the world's second largest economy. Or well, it was the third largest that overtook uh, Germany, became the second largest economy. 
they are out competing everyone. So Hofstetter then did another survey and found another dimension which is called Confucian dynamism and then now he just changed it to long-term, short-term orientation and then recently he changed it to pragmatic and normative uh, characteristics. Uh, some countries, the culture is more pragmatic. They find solutions, the means to the goals. Others are more normative, idealistic. They say that we should do this and that. Mm -hmm. The last dimension came out only a couple of years ago on being restrained and indulgent. Right? So some countries are very indulgent. Like I believe many of you have been to Barush, have already heard on that corner. Over there, they paid a lot of money drinking cocktails as if there's no tomorrow. Right? right? And then we have people from other countries that save up for their future. They are more restrained. Okay. So, <clears throat> how useful are this is such a study? Right, Hofstede has basically produced a study, uh, a, a fantastic scientific study, in the sense that it is a macroscopic understanding of society. It is a generalized view. Right? And they try to find the essentialist perspective. Right? It is the essentialist culture. That means all societies can be reduced to these six dimensions. Now, I want you to fill in the blank of this exercise here. X is a, I, I picked this up from a student uh, assignment. X is a Danish company, encounters many problems in its subsidiaries in one country A because the which country have a higher power distance, right? So I want you all to think back here just a minute. What country is are they talking about here? Shout out the answers. Ninan, you are laughing. What is your answer? It's the same country. What's so funny about that? I was Okay. Any suggestions, please? China. China, yes, besides that? Germany. Germany, all right. Any other countries? Japan. Japan. North Korea. North Korea. <laughs> North Korea, South Korea. Vietnam. Vietnam. Finland. Finland, all right. Sweden, maybe, okay. Well, possibly can put every other country in there, right? It is Denmark versus the rest of the world. All right, I think that is one of the challenges, right? So let me be very, very clear, right? Uh, Hofstede has come up with this theory that is very, very influential. Many consultants have used that, right? And many business school students are using that as well. Let us sell it in context. There are many criticisms against Hofstadter. I'll go through it very quickly. People argue that surveys are not suitable for studying cultural differences. Hofstadter responded because in the second edition of his book, which is extremely thick, 
he dedicated two pages responding to this criticism. He said, yes, survey should not be the only way to understand culture. You can use other ways. The world is big enough. He is broad-minded. He is open-minded. Right? I do my surveys, you do it your own way. Isn't that wonderful? Right? He, he is so broad-minded. Very nice. Nations are not the best units for studying cultures. Look at Britain. It's multicultural. Increasingly in Scandinavia, it's becoming more diverse. What do you talk? How can you actually possibly talk about one Finland or one Sweden? Unless you are, uh, or you still have the dream of joining the Swedish Democrats. And you have a particular view of what Sweden should be like. Right? But the reality is very, very different now. Alright, Hofstadter said, you are right, but in the name of research, research is the art of the possible, that is the best unit for us to study culture. Very clever of him, alright, we all do that as researchers. Using IBM to study different, uh, different national cultures makes no sense, you're just looking at one company. His point is precisely that. He said that it is essential to control company cultures. That's why, because IBM is all over the world, that is so beneficial. You control organizational culture. Whatever differences that comes up will be national culture. Very clever. IBM data are old and obsolete. He said that, well, no. All right. Culture is essential, or there are certain core that are very, very important and they don't change over time. Uh, and that's what his idea is about. I think that's where he is wrong. Uh, I'll come back to that later. Four or five dimensions are not enough. He will agree with you, and then he'll just say that, join me, find other dimensions. So the sixth one is found now under the group study. All right. So that's what he is doing, and that is the approach of essentialist culture you find out what is essentially a culture of a nation. Right? So what is Chinese culture? Right? So that is his approach. Can you use his approach for, well, for doing business in China? While his study is fantastic academically, it is good for researchers and for professors, there are problems. Steph? Yes. All right. Thank you. All right. So, Steph, I just said that this is an average. All right. It flattened out the world that is diversity. All right. But from an essentialist perspective, that is precisely what they want to do to simplify the world. And Steph also said that you, you can use to orientate yourself. All right. And, and that's about it. Okay. I'm going to argue next that that is also very dangerous. There is a study done by two Oxford professors. What did they find? Men have higher IQs than women. 
Sorry? On a random sample. It is a scientific study. Alright. So can you use such a what can you use such a study for? It is just like coming up with the six dimensions. Alright. The Chinese are collectivistic compared to the Icelanders. Alright. What can you use such a study for? So imagine I can see that Nikita was really quite smart just now when he heard that men have higher IQ than women. So Nikita is going to talk to Christina. Alright, they say that look, I'm a man, you are a woman. Two Oxford professors say that men have higher IQ than women. How should she respond? <laughs> Slap him. Alright, that's what Yako suggested. Uh, that is very, very polite, right? Alright, you should look him in the eyes and knee him in the nuts. What Nikita has done is he has committed the ecological fallacy. What is the ecological fallacy? It is when you use a generalization and apply it to the individuals. It is just like Donald Trump's travel ban policy. That people from six Muslim countries should not enter America, thus assuming that all citizens of those six countries are linked to terrorism. Can we use that as a starting point? Just imagine, right? We have this nice experience this morning, right? Nikita applied for a job with Christina, right? And Ronnie is the one providing employment, right? And so Ronnie would actually saw this report and said, well, men have higher IQ than women, and then the two of them came to for the interview, right? What would what should Ronnie do? Who should he employ? He should employ the best person. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Alright? But they are both, it seems that both are equally good in some ways. No, actually he wasn't sure. Right? Before he even met these two, he just looked, hmm, the CV is good enough to, to come in. Alright? What it means is if he used this as an orientation, as a starting point, what it means is that Christina has to overcome his prejudices against women. There is an extra hurdle for her to climb. And Nick here can just come in and pretend that he's smart. But as we have seen this morning, she gave us a lot of good answers in class. Is it fair to her? That's the time you will say no. Right? Do you like to be treated that way? Alright. Similarly, should you treat 1.3 billion Chinese the same way? They are clever Chinese and they are not so clever Chinese. They are those who are more skillful and those who are not. When you do business, you do not deal with a whole society. 
you deal with individuals, you deal with specific individual business partners. They are specific individual human beings. It is not going to be useful for you to see the world in those broad strokes. Right. So, the essentialist approach to culture is useful academically at the macroscopic level. It is not going to be useful for you when you do and practice business in China. Do I have you? Okay. So what is the alternative? You can look at it from a functionalist point of view. So I'm going to introduce to you very quickly. Alex, you are in Marouche, right? Did you get a hangover? No. No? Have you had a hangover before? Yes. Alright, why are you still drinking? Are you talking about the participation of insanity? <laughs> no, alright. Basically, alright, from a structural, functional point of view, society is like a human body. All parts of the body works together for your survival. Isn't that correct? Right? Without the heart, will you survive? Without the brains, without your liver, can you survive? No, right? So in society, society is made up of many social institutions and all the social institutions work together. So, for example, why do we have an education system? The education system is, is not because we thought that literacy and numeracy is very important for you. Right? It is because it is needed for the survival of society to transmit knowledge and values, to bring about economic growth for society. It serves a function for society. Right? So, when Alex has his hangover, what is his body telling him? For a start, he's an idiot. All right, all of us have done that before. I keep telling myself that too, uh, and I never listen to myself. No wonder my students never listen to me. Uh, but the body is telling us that you're not doing something very well, right? And have you actually seen Alex's liver running around freely? All right, running down the corridor here. Uh, well, you can't, all right, because if his, if his liver does a Brexit, he will not survive, right? That's what functionalism is about. We have to understand all parts of society working together holistically. So, how should we actually understand Culture. We are going to see culture in many different ways now. All right. One way to see is that culture serves a particular function. Culture reduces transaction and coordination costs. Culture is taxing. 
things that are taken for granted. So, for example, the very first time I visited America in San Diego, I remember I traveled there. After more than 24 hours of flying, I thought that was long, right? It took me 40 hours to get from Tasmania to Mallorca this time. So that wasn't that long. But at that time, it was very, very long. And then when I arrived, my body clock was like 3 a.m., but it was like 4 p.m. in San Diego. I was hungry, tired, nauseous. And I went to the cafeteria next door to the hotel to get some food. And of course, we have this warm, nice American greeting. And the woman asked me, Good afternoon, sir. How are you today? What can I do for you? I just said, oh, I am a bit tired. I saw it in her face that I, that was the wrong answer. She paused a while and then she said, aren't we all? Uh, she's working, alright, uh, but she has to pull out a friendly face towards me. I should just say, I am fine, thank you, can I have a salad and then get on with my life. Alright, she wasn't interested in listening to my long flights and things like that and getting through customs and things like that, no, alright. So, it's very similarly here in Denmark or in Scandinavia, you just say hello to each other, you don't tell each other's story. Alright, in, in Danish you say, for then how do they? And you just say, God, and then you get on with your life. Right? right you do not say, oh, oh dear, my little toe hurts and things like that. These are things that are taken for granted. It lubricates the system, it makes life a lot easier. It serves a function. Okay, it reduces transaction costs. That is local knowledge. When we talk about ownership-specific advantages this morning, that is what it is about. Things that we do not have for, taken for granted. We have to pick it up. We do not have those social cues. So when someone tells you that the Chinese do not say no, is that possible? No society can ever function without the term no. What it means is that when someone tells you that the Chinese do not say no, it means that the Chinese do not, uh, the person do not know when the Chinese say no. They haven't picked up that local knowledge, that taxid knowledge. Of course they say no, all right, but you do not know that they have just said no. All right. It is not their fault. It is your fault. Right? We have to pick up those knowledge right, and learn about it. So that is uh, so that is also very similar. Have you heard of E.T. or Edward T. Hall's idea of high context and low context society? Cultures. You have? Can you tell us something about it? Uh, it is how we express ourselves. Uh, some nations say it straight out, while other people, uh, other nations don't do it. All right. Edward T. Hall, I uh, covered that theory, right? Some in low context society. Can you give us an example? No. Alright, oh, it's like America, alright, or many European countries. Is they spell out everything like a legal document. Alright, they don't take things for granted. And high context society is about what is not spoken. Have you heard of that theory before? Okay, that is Edward T. Hall's theory. Alright, 
That theory is absolutely rubbish. All behavior is contextual. What it means is that if you don't understand, Edward T. Hall was American. If he does not understand the other culture, that culture is high context. If you understand that culture, it is low context. He is using his views to impose on other societies. So when he's in Europe, many Europeans understood him and he understood that Europeans, that is low context. When he went to Asia, he couldn't understand them, that is high context. Don't do that. Alright, so don't impose those views. Every society has context. I've learned that. Alright, when I moved to Denmark, you all know Danish butter cookies. Alright, have you seen the advertisements here? Alright, Danish butter cookies are very, very popular in Asia, in China. When you visit someone, you bring a box of Danish butter cookies. So when I first went to Denmark, on the second day, I was invited for dinner. I, being a polite Singaporean, what do I do? I brought a gift. And what did I bring? Danish butter cookies. And I can see that Alex is smiling all his way. Now, I brought it there and I saw the hostess face. It was absolutely the wrong gift. She looked puzzled, angry, confused. I do not know what. <laughs> and I just said, okay, have I done something wrong? And then she explained to me that in Denmark, they don't like Danish butter cookies <laughs> unless they are made by their grandmothers in a farm in the middle of nowhere in Jotland. Right. How would I know that? Alright. So there are a lot of things that are taken for granted. Right. Right. So culture serves a function. It reduces transaction and coordination costs. Culture matters because it helps structure. It lubricates the system. So we are all... We are met today for the first time. Did Malnus and Murphy send you a package to tell you how you should behave with one another. Not really, right? I said to say that, right? be nice to one another, right? be friendly. Okay. Imagine that they have to spell out how we should interact with one another. What will it be like? It's not going to happen because it's not going to be possible. Every organization has formal rules and regulations. But the organization can only work when there is organizational culture, when the informal kicks in. When we become friends, when we realize that together, despite the rules and regulations of how we behave, we treat each other nicely, we be friendly one another, we will have a better learning experience. We are now developing a class culture. Right. Culture lubricates the formal. So we have many informal institutions right, that we consider culture. 
One of them that is very common is Guanxi. That is connection. What is connection? If you belong to the same family, right? Your one? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it can be both uh, family and it can be claim. Uh, I think that's like a third level. Uh, All right. But yes, there's different kinds of Guangxi also uh, in business. In, uh, uh, you also have Guangxi. Yes. So it's very much layered either in business, in family, or in clan. Alright, or, or, or even in the classroom, fellow classmates or at the alumni, so you're doing business in China, alumni, which says I've been there and fortunately or unfortunately I've done it for 9-10 times now and then you just say, oh, we, you all know me and then we'll, we'll start forming relationships and you'll start doing that. It seems that in China it is very, very important, correct? Why is it important? Okay. We are going, alright, as we say that we are all going to the karaoke bar, alright, uh, 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 next week, Friday, alright, and that is very, very common. So imagine you attend a conference, alright. So, Jakob going there, when you do business with Simon, Simon, oh no, it's Alex here, you have several businesses, is that correct? Yeah. You have two businesses. So imagine that Alex decided to want to come to come to China and then he met Jacob, Jacob here right? and they had a conference and they were asking questions and so on. Imagine that Jacob is Chinese, right? So and then he just said that and then Alex here he said very excited and just said, oh that's an opportunity. They hook up and just say that you know you may be selling something that's interesting. Uh, we can actually do business and Jacob, what will he do? He'll immediately say, oh, let us go for coffee. Alright? So, Jacob will go for coffee, bringing Alex along, and then they discuss with each other and realize that, hmm, alright, Jacob thinks that, ah, oh, I can be rich. Say, so, let's go for dinner. And what should Alex do? Of course, go for dinner, right? And they meet, and then Alex mentions, well, you know, in China, I heard that people like to go to karaoke. And then what will Jacob do? bring him to a karaoke lounge, right? And then I said, oh, this is going very well, and you're in a karaoke lounge, what happens, right? Jacob being the good Chinese host, will send in some pretty young girls to dance with Alex, all right? And then Alex said, hmm, all right? All right, didn't know what to do, wasn't very interested, and Jacob got very worried. So what will Jacob do? Send in some young boys. Alright. Then Alex got all excited. Alright, and then the night went on and then it's time to go home. They were totally plastered. And then they said that oh we really have a business to do now, right? But it's too late or too early for us to talk about it. But let us meet tomorrow at 5 p.m. Right? And then you are they said, yeah, that's right, but we haven't exchanged our business card. How should you exchange business card? What have you learned about exchanging business cards in China? Alright, uh, Max is just saying that you have to do it with both hands like this. Alright, let us demonstrate. Alright? Okay. Alright, you give it to me. Alright, you go in the wrong way. I'll do it this way and then I'll give it to you. Right? 
And then I should look at it and say, oh man, what a fantastic name you have. You have a big title, blah, 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 right? <laughs> and then you'll do the same thing. But that night, if Jacob and Alex are doing that, uh, if Alex is still giving Jacob the cut in that way, what does that mean? They still have a formal relationship. They are still not friends. That would be terrible. Instead, alright, you will just use the card and then imagine this is Alex. I'll just say thank you, Alex. And you just slip it in his pocket and he'll do it the same as me. And just say, let us communicate when we are awake. And then you have to tell Alex, alright, good night, sleep well, take care of the boys, and then that's it. Right. Somebody calls the cops. Well, if you're a busy body, you can call the cops. Alright? What is important here is this it shows that they have developed friendship, it lubricates the system, but very importantly, they have developed interdependency. Alex like young boys, Jacob like young girls, they have story to tell about each other, they develop trust, they develop interdependency. One C is important. Right, because that's what friendship is about. Right, you build up trust. Trust is good, control is better. When you have such knowledge, you have better control. When I was reading about this, what is the difference between, I can say, quantity yeah. and this network? Alright, is there a difference between quantity and networking? From a sociological point of view, no. But they have a term for it. That is similarly to what is happening to the world now. The Danish word Hügel. You know about that? That word is now in the Oxford English Dictionary. As if it's something that is very, very special. Is it? Basically, what it means is that you have a candle, a beer, and talk to each other. Don't say anything negative except for taxes and the weather. <laughs> I've seen it used here in a store. Yeah. In the, in the, Gaoshan area. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called OCE, Scandinavian Living or something. Yeah. It has Hugo uh, on the on the storefront. Yeah. Hugo has become a thing for the world, just like Guanxi. Uh, but many people argue that what's the different we have analyzed other different things from other different not 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 really, but there is a thing, right? Alright, so so very good question. Alright. Alright, thank you for that. Alright. So Yes, understand that it serves a function, it duplicates the system. Right? And culture is also a resource. We have heard arguments that the Chinese are hard-working people. Alright? They study hard, they work seven days a week, and so on. So it increases economic growth. What is it a function of? Macroeconomics. What is K? Capital. Labor, thank you. Natural resources, right? Resources. Technology and total factor productivity, or many people call it innovations. How all these dimensions come in together. Right? For some economists like Hofstede argue that some countries are growing very fast because of the labor because of their culture, they are hard-working. Right? Culture is a resource. Right? It produces wealth. 
Alright. Such a view is being challenged. Alright. So we have discussed about functional culture. It's a resource. It lubricates a formal system. And at the same time, it reduces transaction and coordination costs. And over the next 10 days, I'll give you other examples. Like how should we understand corrupt practices uh, in many countries? Does it serve any function? Right. So there's another view that says that, well, this view is absolutely rubbish. Krugman right? argued that, you know, Paul Krugman, Paul Krugman, won the Nobel Prize for Economics. Right? He said that, well, look, the growth that we've seen in many Asian economies, including China, is not because of the quality of the labor. If we look at productivity growth, it is actually quite low. What is growing is capital. There is injection and there is this irrational investments into China and many of the Asian economies. So we have seen that in 1997 in the financial crisis. But what he also highlighted is from the conflict perspective. Society is an arena of conflicts. In functionalism, society it's made up like an organic whole where different parts work together. Right? Everything serves a function. From a conflict perspective, indeed, different parts of society works together. But it works in a particular way to serve the interests of the elite, of the middle class. Right, that is good old Karl Marx. So, culture is negotiated. So, when I was going for lunch, I have a couple of discussion. Right, when a couple of you asked me, how has China changed? China has changed a lot here. I, at one time, I was visiting, visiting Shanghai three, four times a year. Every year I come back, it has changed. Right. One of the things I've noticed is that now it's easier for many foreigners to travel around because people start uh, English has become very common. Right. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, anti, what we call anti-social behavior. They seem to have disappeared. Uh, what does that mean? Is that people start queuing up. They don't spit on the floor. And um, uh, people generally are more polite. Right, so which we in the past uh, there's this mad rush. Right, so um, what has happened? All right, basically what it means is that culture changes, and how do culture change? All right, culture can be engineered, and that is a very very important strategy. If culture does not change, as Hofstadter claimed that it is core, there is a problem. There will be no jobs for marketing people. There will be no job for human resource managers and policy makers. Their job is to change our behavior, our practices, and our values. Right. 
cultures can be manipulated. So, when did when was Confucius born? Any guess? Two thousand five hundred years ago, five hundred BC. When did the Vikings exist? Twelve years ago. All right. About 1,000 years ago, right? About 1,000 years ago. How many of you think that you're still Vikings? All right, you're one. All right. Okay, all right. If the Vikings have changed in the last 1,000 years, what makes you think that the Chinese have not changed in the last 2,500 years? And what that means is that you Vikings are feminine, right? So you guys are CC Vikings. Right. None of you are sailing across the oceans to burn the churches and rape the girls. Thankfully. You all take showers in the morning and so on. Right. The Chinese have also moved on. Right. In fact, during the Cultural Revolution, uh, being associated with Confucianism is a terrible thing. So we must know that behavior changes, and as we have seen today, the culture is changing. Right? It has become more standardized, more globalized. Right? So that's why we are here. You are doing business here because you think you can change your behavior, your consumption behavior, or you can adapt to them, and you are also changing. So there is constant negotiation. So that is the first perspective. Right? We have discussed essentialist culture with Hofstadter uh, and basically I'm arguing that no, you can't really use that perspective because if you do, you will be committing the ecological fallacy. You do not want to do that. Right? You will be doing a Nikita and you know the consequences. Right? Instead, how should you understand society? You understand so from a functionalist perspective, understanding why do things happen the way they do in China. You understand Chinese values, practices, and behavior in its own terms. But if you do that, you will be understanding society from a rather romantic view. That is how the conflict theories will argue and therefore, we have another perspective for you, the conflict perspective or the critical perspective, where you understand that cultures change and it can be manipulated and negotiated. That is negotiated culture. So we have convinced the Chinese to drink more brandy. Some of them like to drink brandy with Sprite. Some people drink red wine with some other soft drinks. All right. At one stage, Coca-Cola was drank warm with a slice of ginger. Which you all will be saying, what is that? All right. But they're trying to make sense of a black fizzy drink. When it's black fizzy drink, it looks like a herbal drink. Right. And they are there. Right. They are changing. Right. And thankfully, we have also changed. So, Culture is always being engineered and negotiated. Right. So I have a little diagram for you 
But I think I'll go through it on Monday when we do the wrap-up to bring all these three perspectives together. Okay, so are there any questions about the three views of culture? World competitiveness and obs uh, and obsession. Right. Are we? St are you still with me? Yes. All right. So, all right. On that note, the the weekend is here. You have to start paying uh, for your course fees. But I also want you to think of a very very important question. Right. That is. Ethnocentrism and cultural relativism. What is cultural relativism? How many of you have heard of that term before? Alright, thank you, Steph. Alright. And Simon. Simon, you want to explain to us? Cultural relativism. I don't know if I can do a very good job, but I can try. Mm -hmm. um, it's about uh, seeing cultures value-free, and you shouldn't uh, judge them according to your own uh, cultural background. Yes, so you should, for example, understand China in its own terms. Alright, so you basically use a functionalist perspective to understand why things happen the way they do. Correct? Alright. Is that acceptable? Because there are certain cultural practices that does not seem to be quite okay. Uh, for the first time in my life, yesterday, I cycled in China. Okay, and I've been cycling for 20 years in Denmark, of course. And they have a very different set of traffic rules for bicycles. They basically don't stop. Uh, they just have to navigate through. And, then, and they don't, basically don't stop prior. I mean, it's just a flock of fish. They go around and, of course... Over in Denmark, we signal and things like that, right? And then we stop and things like that. What am I supposed to do? Should I accept the Chinese system as it is? Or is it I say that what you're doing is very dangerous? I think they think I'm a very dangerous cyclist because I cycle the way that I did in Denmark because people don't stop and I did stop and I nearly had three crashes. Alright, so I should just try to go like, a, like part of the school of fish, right? Alright, but it is not quite sustainable because I can also see that cars and bicycles are navigating each other in very dangerous ways. Alright, so are we going to impose certain values on the Chinese? For example, human rights. On the way they treat Women. Right. Should we do that? Is it acceptable to your company's code of conduct? When in Rome, do what the Romans do. Right. That is a cultural relativistic point of view. Right. So, but there are consequences. 